0: Gotta do now. It's part of the Australian culture. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. And yes, you do. You go to the uh best little country in the world, Australian film. And this is 3CR's film show, dedicated to the Australian film industry. I went off, and it's called Showreel, of course, and my name's Annie, and I went off to the Australian International Documentary uh, Conference, which they had down at ACME earlier in March. And over the last few weeks, I've been playing some stuff that people, contributors, filmmakers, uh the conversations that they had, uh, that we were all privy to as uh, members of an audience who'd been watching their film, and uh, the last one in the series is from Alan Hicks. Alan Hicks has made a, a very a, a highly acclaimed film co- about Quincy Jones, uh, the uh, quite extraordinary American uh, African American composer. Uh, if you'd watched any. Uh, TV dramas over American TV dramas over the 70s and 80s and 90s you could not have escaped Quincy Jones he's had an incredibly long career and uh he is a multi award winning he's he's like he's uh, like Henry Mancini or um or one of those other characters uh, film directors, producers, that uh, composers from the American uh, world that uh, just are a phenomenon. Anyway, so uh, Quincy Jones, his daughter, wanted to make a, a film about him. He's got, uh, I think he's got about five or six children and uh, one of them wanted to make uh, a film about her famous father and uh, Alan Hicks met her. Uh, Alan Hicks is from Wollongong and had previously made another film which was a gr- a Grammy award winning film called Keep on Keeping on. He's a jazz musician, he's a jazz jazz drummer and that first film Keep on Keeping on is a film about a uh, jazz great mentoring a young student and it was a bit of a phenomenon in a sense. Uh, and as a result of this, his next film has become a bit of a phenomenon too. So what he's doing is having a yarn with uh, a uh, an adjudicator and the audience talking about the making of uh, Quincy and uh, the sorts of tactics he used in order to par down the life of this immense the uh creative character who has a repertoire of over a thousand songs, uh down to a film of two hours long. And it's an extremely uh watchable film. If you ever get a chance to watch it it's it's quite fascinating and uh fabulous. And Alan Hicks is an incredibly generous chap in his conversation. So let's let's leave it to Alan to uh Describe his uh, adventures in Quincy uh,
1: Thanks everybody for sticking around, by the way. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I was late. <laughs> Hang in there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, wor- working with Rashida was a pleasure. It, it, I can imagine I, this is the first time I've ever uh, co directed. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. my second movie so yes. it, it, <laughs> I, I, it's first time co-directing and I, I'm sure that, that could be a nightmare if yeah. it wasn't the right person. Yes, of course. And so her, we share, um, uh, kind of, we, we see things similarly mm-hmm. w- yeah. in film and um, and in a movie like this is, it's really helpful to have a few different perspectives. So I'm I, nice. I, I definitely coming in heavy from the music side of things. and. Yeah. And she she knows she just knows her dad you yeah. know and um and there's a lot of things there's a few things in the movie that um where i was even intensive about but she was like no, no no we've got to keep that in in yeah. particular when he went to the hospital um yeah. and she she had filmed a lot of that stuff on her cell phone or oh, mobile phone sorry been in <laughs> l.a too long <laughs> um and uh she, she filmed that stuff, and she she had just filmed it, not to put it in the movie, but to right. show her dad, oh, right. like, you know, you're going to kill yourself if you keep, right, keep yeah. up. Um, and then she was like, we have to put that in the movie, because, um, you know, just to remind him. Because yeah. uh, she's just seen her dad do this over and over and over his whole life, as yeah. work himself into a, the spot where he, he nearly dies. So... Um, it's happened a lot more than we could even depict. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's confronting, I and mean, you know, we
2: you know, you see patterns of behaviour in people you love, and it's 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 hard to um, to c- c- cope. But you can. I read somewhere that um, a lot of this. That uh, his health issues weren't publicly known, so it must be incredibly brave even for her to, and his people to let that sort of information out. But it's a very valuable um, person in many ways. So they, they, you know, there's a protective layer around these people, isn't
1: there? Well, yeah, they they didn't release to the press at all that he mm. nearly, um, nearly passed away. He yeah. was in a coma. You know, yeah, you know, we said in the movie, but. Yeah. um and, but Quincy, when, when I came onto the film, I, I just spent a year touring with him, promoting the, the, my uh, previous film. And so we became good mates. And when Rashida asked me to come on and co-direct, uh, one of my first discussions was, you know, like you, you don't want your character to have anything to do with the movie. I I don't, you know. No, uh, I've seen a lot of movies where you you can tell the main character is kind of pulling the strings a bit and manipulating. Um, But Quincy said to us, "Just show me when it's finished." Oh wow! And so we didn't have to to deal with the only thing that I that we had to deal with was that responsibility of keeping the facts straight. Right. And so I could when I'd be working in his archive in his home, I'd be able to go and talk to him and just quiz him about stuff, yeah. and get things, you, you make make sure we're on the right track yeah. uh, without having having his involvement, so um, that was actually just an amazing thing, yeah. and bloody nerve-wracking when yeah. we had the show and the movie, and, uh, but then he, he loved it. You know? yeah. Was there anything at all that became off limits during the production? Man, he, it, well, he, he got so into, like, well, he just started, he started calling me up and telling me, hey, man, we're going to China and in two days, and you guys would love it. You should come, you know, and I'd, I'd call up the producer and she's like, oh, God, what are you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, uh, Quincy wants us to go to China, and she'd be like, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to do it, and then we'd, we'd travel all the way to China and shoot, and while we're there, he'd say, oh, man, Wait, I'm going to Dubai, you guys, are, you, have you seen the mosque in Dubai, you guys would love it there, you know, like, and that just, kept, that went on for years. Right, he's such an inclusive guy, you, you can tell, you can see it a little bit in the film, but but just in general, if he was here, he would hang out all night and talk to every single person, and he'd be the last one here. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so that brings up all kinds of challenges when you're shooting, because you've got a crew, and they're That's fatigued nice. and you, you've gone out and you've done like a 10 or 12 hour mm-hmm. day and then we'd, we'd follow him back to his hotel and then we'd be like, okay, <laughs> Quincy, we'll see you man, have a good one. And he's like, what, you got coming up to <laughs> hang out? Like, we're ordering a bunch of food, let's hang out. And we'd be like, oh, he thrives off people, you know, he yeah. loves having people around, especially we all love music. Oh, for me, it's like... History, you know, yeah. like Why every. to hang out with him, yeah. You, you know, I could quiz him about the jazz drummers of the world for right. days yeah. and yeah. days, and he knew every single one of them and their families, yeah. and like you, you, yeah. So, but that became a challenge yeah. because we had to back up the footage, and you, you know, like you, the crew needs downtime. Pre- Crews all is Aussie, yeah. you know. Oh, the, right. yeah, yeah, the blokes, um, they're, they're my mates from Wollongong. Um, <laughs> That like, I just uh, got them like, got them visas and, right, and yeah. brought, brought them along the ride. So it was, it's a it's a pretty funny scene traveling around with Quincy and you turn up and like you, the celebrities that walk in. That it's not you, you don't get starstruck. You start to you have to think pragmatically of like. <laughs> okay, so let's the uh, celebrities come walking in the door, and we need to be able to keep shooting, and they've got their whole entourage and their crews and stuff, and my guys are just these ratty-looking surfers. Yeah. That, like, you know, There's, a, there's a, once, you know, having Oprah's people come and th- ask, right. like, what are you doing? And you're ask like, <laughs> you know, you're like, well, we're Quincy's crew. <laughs> you know, they're all these Aussie guys, and... Yeah, he travelled with a bunch of
2: Aussies. It looked like she did have quite an, sorry, an entourage of people around her that you were
1: trying to get around to. Well, well uh, it, it, yeah. all of them do. Right, and yeah. the good thing about Quincy is that what, what we we learnt pretty quickly is that you stay close enough to him, right. people aren't going to come up and yeah. tell you. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not going to... And, and it happened a few times where somebody from another crew of from a celebrity would... Um, come up and say to me, you can't film, and I'd say, you've got to tell Quincy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Go> so, <on. laughs> you, you
1: know, like, it, it... obviously you spent uh, quite a bit of time at the household in LA, and I'm just sort of wondering, in the latter years, um, is he still composing, or is he sort of more spending more time mentoring? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's... You know what that guy can cram into a day is you know so i i would see him composing a lot um he's working on a a um a hip-hop opera (sighs) (sighs) yeah (laughs) and he, and he, he was working on that the the last year that i was there but his schedule's so gnarly you know and um the, the way his days go, I, 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 don't, I think his, his real skill is he's, he's an orchestrator at heart. So he, he, can, he thinks about, he told me that he sees, he can hear music like a doctor looks at an x-ray, <laughs> is that he, as soon as you play like a symphony orchestra, he can hear all the way through it and see every element, but I, I think he's taken that skill to, to life where he's able to orchestrate things and, and make connections with people and put people together that he knows it's gonna work out uh, creatively. And um, so, but his schedule, you know, like he might do a bit of composing and then be working with one of his kids and then Barack Obama might turn up <laughs> to the house and have a meeting and then go back to um, meeting with family and then composing a bit more and then doing a business meeting. You know, it just... It, it, and that's every, every day of the week. Um, and that was a pretty incredible thing to see because you, you go home and you're just like, oh, shit, like, I've got to cram a bit more in. <laughs>
0: with so much footage... How did you
1: manage to decide what to leave out? I, I don't know, I didn't go to film school, so I, I didn't have a frame of reference of how to how to do do it. And But I just gradually learnt from the film, uh, from Keep On Keeping On, was this reductive process, kind of like songwriting. You know, you, you, you probably don't even have a great idea in there, but the, you get rid of the ones that suck, and then you get to the one that's okay, and then you build off that, you know. So, with the the footage, I would just reduce the footage. And If it was a 10-hour day, I'd watch all the way through the 10 hours and get it down to five hours, and then come back to it, and then reduce that down to an hour, and then come back to it, and get it down to 20 minutes. And by the time you do that, Mm. you know the scene. Like, it's there, generally. And um, I I would do that um, before we get to the editor and that makes a lot of decisions for you. But then like when you're searching through the archive, you can't map it out at, at all. But you're you look through you're looking through the archive, and we watched through about a, for about a year and a half before editing, whilst we were still shooting. And then things just pop out, you know? Like yeah. the My Buddy thing with Ray Charles. I saw that and I was like, that is definitely gonna be in the movie. Yeah. That's gonna be a turning point in the movie. Yeah. And um, I've got to figure that out, mm. and that causes a whole chain reaction. So then you begin working on a story arc with Ray Charles, and that's going to be the peak of Ray Charles' story arc, mm. and figuring out how to pepper that story through throughout the the movie, mm. and um, and then the once we were following him with the African American museum started to to come yeah. come up and. Um, but he was doing 20 other things at the same time, and we're following all of those things, and some of those things drop off, and then you eventually find the the one thing that you're like, okay, that's, that's the, uh, that looks solid. And um, so decisions just start, you know, things just start popping their heads up and saying, delete me, and, <laughs> and then you get rid of it. And then licensing will delete a lot of footage that you don't, Nobody knows who owns yeah, And you think it's like, yeah. this is the best part of the movie. Yeah. And um, you can't figure it out. I had like three archivists working and they can't figure it out. Quincy doesn't know who owns it. So it's like, you have to remove it from the film. And then once you do that, it feels like the end of the world. But then it causes you to, ch- to do something that you would never have done. That you're forced into, a, you're backed into a kind of a corner, and you have to figure it out. There's also, so when I was mentioning the, the vaults, you know, once we got in there, there there's like, it's, it's not like a bunch of VHS tapes, right. it's like 16mm, 8mm no, fu- yeah. footage, and it's Ray Charles talking about Quincy, and Frank Sinatra talking about Quincy, and this is all stuff Quincy's never seen. Oh wow! Okay. It, yeah, yeah. This, this is like raw interviews of things that never made it into anything. And so when we first showed the film to Quincy, he was just a wreck because these are all his mates talking about him, and yeah. it, you know it was it was really emotional. And, yeah. Um, but that causes a, a chain reaction of problems because you can't not look at a are real, you know, or, yeah. and um, especially if you have budget. Well, I think there's that really telling moment
2: just before or it's just before the museum opens where he's looking at the names on all the vitrines and he's he sort of says at one point something like, I'm the last one or I'm the, the only one still alive. And it's it, it must be, you know, it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? You know, to be, you know, a witness to all of this great history, yet yeah, be, be the
1: sole survivor in a way. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah it's... And like, uh, because I'm I'm a jazz musician too, so the the, you 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 spend your life studying um, Mm. these greats, and I I, I was fortunate to study with a lot of these great, great older um, jazz legends, and and so many of them are gone now, Mm. Um, and so it's that that helps you with the process because you know that this is it's very limited the time that these guys are going to be around. and that was a driving force in the movie to just to make sure to get it done because you just know he's not gonna. Well, nobody's gonna be around. But but like he, the way he lives on the edge, <laughs> you know, you um, can't plan too much as far as the verite stuff. But we set up some creative limitations. It's something I'm learning more and more how valuable that is, which happens in music a lot too, where just. You know, when I was studying jazz, the, there was the guys that like to play straight-ahead jazz, other guys like playing modern jazz, and then a lot of guys were like, I'm into free jazz. And just generally, the guys that are like, I'm into free jazz, were the worst musicians. There's a lot of great ones, but yes. the ones that are like, it's like a cop-out, like, yeah, man, it's just freedom and stuff, but then, you know, they couldn't. Um, but I feel like with, it's, I've learnt from that, is that actually having some limitations is really helpful creatively, um, especially with such a big project like this. So we decided we wanted it to be a two-hour movie. It could have been a ten-part series, but we just I, it would have killed Quincy still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we didn't want to do any uh, interviews, no talking heads, and we weren't going to interview Quincy because he had learned all of his anecdotes. Yes. You know, they're, they're all kind of round, the edges of them are kind of polished. And um, so we tr- wanted to try and get as close to every story as it happened in the period. So when he's having recovering from the aneurysm, he's talking about it, that's actually audio of him sitting in the hospital with a bandage around his head because they thought he was going to die. Mm. Um, and so but his his story these days about the aneurysm is kind of upbeat and mm. you know yeah but at the time you know and and in a hundred years somebody could make a quincy doc that's like he did this 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 and this mm. and this um but when rashida first talked to me about it she was talked mentioned like what i had done on keep on keeping on where it was just just observe, don't jump in the way, don't, you know, just... Um, and that's when we were able to say, we're going to shoot for three years and just see what happens and get people to know what he's like as a person. Um, and then the archive, Well, we had no idea. We we weren't sure how much was going to be in the movie. Um, and then we found, once I started going through the archival, I was like, oh, God, this is heavy. And then he told me about the vault, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, and so then once once we got into that sort of once once the archive was going, we were halfway through the shoot, so like a year and a half in, and um and then there's this something something I was doing in the previous movie it was like falling back into the past, mm-hmm. but trying to do it without it um uh, feeling like it was. Hey, now we're going to the past, yeah. Yeah, ma- making it feel like a natural transition. I, I love that thing of um, the in a single cut you drop like sixty years, mm. but you don't get yeah. jarred by it. Mm. Um, and so I did that twice in Keep on Keeping On. And I just I was like, oh, this is something I could explore. Mm. And then once we started to get into the archival of this film, I was like, oh man, this is you know. Quincy's like sitting in the same chair he was sitting in in the studio, and it's like forty years later. Oh, yeah. Or um, when he's playing piano, that was the first mm-hmm. one that uh, I put together. Um, was he? Would, I I had just seen this archival footage of him playing this. Uh, it was when he was scoring uh, in Cold Blood. It was a little film made. And, and he was playing playing in his basement. And I had watched that. And then about six months later, I started going through our footage from the Sweden trip. And when he played the piano, I was like, God, that sounds like, I don't know, it could be in the same key or in a relative key. And I don't know, it might work. And put it together, I was like, oh, God, that, that worked. And so... And I was ch- chatting with Rashida about it, and I was like, "I think we can do this as a thing, you know, if we work really hard um, to try and find those moments that uh, the you you fall back in time, but it's not for no reason. It's a, it's it's motivated by either the present or or the past. You know, something's going on. Mm-hmm. So, just one more question.
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but just uh, in terms of um, Quincy's motivation, did, was it because his daughter was wanting to make the film, you think that he, he made such a commitment to it and, um, you know, did, did his um, family company or anything like that make any sort of financial investment in it? Are they, you know, you had creative control, but was the, the, the business, you know, such a valuable resource I guess that he threw open the, um, the doors to you for, was, was there any sort of arrangement or deal there where he helped to make it happen?
1: no uh rashida had so she had started shooting um, she was right at the very right as I was finishing keep on keeping on she I met her at Montreux uh, while I was doing my last shoot, and she was doing her very first shoot and she was just a one man band with wow. a with a 5 d and that 's where we met. And she asked me a bunch of questions about the camera and what, how, how you know, how our crew was would operate, and we helped her with her shoot that day. And then she eventually came up and asked me if I wanted to come come and work with her, and co-direct it. And we just still had the same crew, you know, I still had the same camera guys, the, the same producer, and um, and then Netflix came on, nice. pretty, and I. I I've, I've got i feel like morally it's you probably shouldn't have your a subject paying for any part of the movie yeah. or making money from it mm. you know i like I think that it's um to to keep a, a distance yeah. from that i think is very important um because then there's some i don't know i think it could cre- could create some problems yeah. um and yeah, so unfortunately for us, for and for a production like what we we set out to do is bloody ambitious and and a long, a really long shoot. Like I think it's like one of the longest shoots that yeah. um, Netflix has been involved in at that right. point right. by committing to like, oh, we're going to have a full time camera crew for three years, <laughs> like, mm. traveling all over the world trying to keep up with this guy that nobody can keep up with. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's um yeah, but that, I think I answered up yeah, right? right, thank you, cool.
2: So I we have to wrap that up, but there's um,
0: but what about uh, the music too? well, that's another good question.
2: Shall we oh. just quickly talk about the music because it yeah. is extraordinary that the, how that was condensed to a two hour film yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so um,
1: we're, on, on the last film i I had a uh, lesser amount of um, songs to sift through, so I, right. I could, and when with Clark Terry from. Uh, I, I'd i been in his band for years and I'd studied with him yeah. and whenever he would play me one of his records that he really loved like one of his favourite solos or one of his favourite tracks I'd just make a note of it so when it got time to do the edit I was like here's his right. yeah. like 50 favourite songs yeah. and um so I was able to use it like that, but with Quincy, it's like three thousand songs. Like, Come on, <laughs> and and then the, like the, the samples, like what the rappers have been using, yeah. was yeah. crazy. Um, so I hired a a, a guy that um, a good mate of mine, who had moved to America from Australia, a guy named Jasper Leek, and he um, played in Clark Terry's band with me as well. And he's a bass player, but he's also bass was, was a he's a songwriter, and producer, and worked with Sia and mm. Tegan and Sarah and um, Gautier. and so he's he's lives in LA. And I said, mate, I've got this favorite. I know it's like it's not you know <laughs> like can you can you sift through Quincy's catalog and make a spreadsheet that I, it, it's digestible, something that I can be able to go here's you know mm-hmm. here's the you know, and he went through every single song, categorized every every song, and put it into um, a spreadsheet. It was like it's from the a song from the '60s, and it's uh, has a section that's only percussion, and there's a blues guitar section, and from two minutes ten to two minutes fifteen is the best little moment, and. Um, <laughs> And and then when it would come to uh, a scene, I'd say, "Hey man, it's Chicago, uh, it's like 1939. Uh, we need something like bluesy." Yeah. And he he'd uh, straight away go to his spreadsheet and say, "Here's 15 songs. That's the top five, but I reckon that's this one is the one." And nine times out of ten, he was right, and that enabled me to be able to help create this musical journey mm-hmm. that um I just wouldn't have had time to do because I was dealing with all the the things like Rashida and I are so busy with that that um yeah just to just to cut through it but all of his music's so good like yeah, it puts you in a dilemma <laughs> like the best de-